Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Emma is a 14-year-old female presenting for a well child check today with her mom. During the visit, Emma's mom mentions that her daughter was interested in starting soccer but was wondering if cheerleading might be a safer option because she's read that soccer players have a higher rate of concussion. After encouraging physical activity, what information would you provide Emma and her mom about the risks of certain sports and the regulations and equipment designed to protect them? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Hilary Mullen, a fourth-year medical student at the University of Massachusetts Medical School with a strong interest in neuroscience. Good morning, Hilary. Good morning, Dr. Domino. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine. So we're going to talk today about concussions. Can you remind us a bit about what is a concussion and what athletes are most likely to get injured? Yeah, so a concussion is a head injury that occurs as a result of trauma. And it's important to know that this trauma can really occur to any part of the body. Clinically, these patients will experience a rapid decline in neurologic function, uh, which spontaneously resolves over time. We talk a lot about concussions, especially in relevance to uh, football players, but a lot of other athletes are at risk as well. Uh, For example, female athletes playing soccer have a particularly high rate of concussions, as well as uh, male athletes playing ice hockey. It's important to note that concussion incidence varies based on sport, whether the athletes are in a practice scenario or a competitive scenario, and it also differs based on sex differences as well. So there's a series of laws called the return to play laws, uh, which requires students who experience a loss of consciousness or uh, suspected concussion to be removed from the field. And it's important to note that these laws are present in every single state, but there are variations between these. Usually these laws require mandatory bench times, uh, clearance by a medical professional, and some type of education for staff, parents, and athletes. It used to be that if an athlete was injured and was dazed or was unconscious, they were removed from the field, someone woke them up a little bit, and then they were sent back out there. And so now, uh, if that happens, how long do they have to stay out before they can return to play? So the recommendation is that any athlete with a suspected concussion be removed from play for at least 24 hours. In order to return to practice or uh, return to competition after those 24 hours, uh, they really should have resolution of those symptoms, and that involves going through a graded exercise plan in which every day an athlete exerts themselves a little bit more, and if there's no return of the symptoms, they can kind of they can continue to the next level of exercise. And what happens if the symptoms are provoked during that exercise period? If symptoms are provoked, the athlete should restart the exercise plan at the level that they were not experiencing symptoms. Okay, so they get injured, they're out for 24 hours, they're symptom-free, they can start an graded exercise plan. If they have any recurrence of those symptoms, they have to go backwards. 
Uh, what improvements are available in equipment to help protect students? So there are currently two new technologies available. Uh, one is known as MIPS, which stands for Multidirectional Impact Mitigation System, and the second is WaveCell. Um, and basically, both of these systems add an extra lining to the inside of the helmet that reduces angular acceleration, which is the force that's primarily responsible for causing concussions. What about advice we give patients and parents? Um, there's been all sorts of things. When I had a concussion uh, in my youth, I was to sit in a quiet room with the lights out, no noise, no talking, that sort of thing. Um, what, what do we, how do we counsel patients and their parents now about things like screen time and so forth? So the concern with screen time is that it often exacerbates the symptoms of a concussion. What we now know is that electronics have not demonstrated a worse prognosis for concussion patients. But so should we just let them have free reign with, with their screens and their phones and video games or should we limit them in some way? Access to screens and electronics should be limited based on symptom provocation. So if a patient is using their device and they are re-experiencing symptoms, that is a sign that they should cut down on device use. Um, there are things you can do to reduce, reduce visual strain, such as reducing brightness and increasing the font size. But it's important to know that uh, eliminating electronics entirely may cause more harm than good in that it promotes social isolation. Okay, I know there's been some data recently about um, blue light glasses and so forth. Uh, I, I'm not sure the data is there yet, but it sounds like what you've told me is that um, graded exercise with stepping back if things get worse, um, some screen time is okay, but increase the fonts and diminish the brightness of the screen, and, and helping everyone, both parents and athletes, know that they have to get fully better before they can return to activity. Does that sound right? That sounds about right to me. Great. Well, thank you, Hillary. appreciate you talking to us today about this. Thank you. Practice pointer. For patients who sustain a concussion, at least 24 hours should be kept before they can return to play, and an organized, graded return-to-play plan should be implemented. Join us next time when we talk about the epidemic that no one's talking about, polypharmacy in seniors. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com podcast, and see you next week.